Welcome to the One Away Show, presented by BW Missions. I am Brian Wish, and I am your host, and thanks so much for being here. On this show, I sit down with compelling entrepreneurs, authors, and rising leaders to talk through their most transformative relationships, experiences, and epiphanies. Curated with entrepreneurial leaders in mind, we'll dig into these finite moments in people's lives and understand how they helped set their path forward. Rebecca Kaufman is a versatile seasoned CEO with broad leadership experience as a financial services leader in sales and marketing, risk management, and international business operations. Her expertise in the financial services industry and outstanding record of leading business turnarounds has resulted in an effective scaling of new businesses and expansion of existing operations globally for Fortune 50 organizations. Rebecca's transformational leadership style has provided avenues for success in all economic cycles in both large and small companies during all stages of growth. Her vast experience leading international operations, digital technology implementation, wealth management, partnership and business development, strategy, regulatory compliance, process improvement, and aligning executive leadership with organizational goals has resulted in exponential growth. Rebecca's extensive career history has taken her through senior leadership positions at Wells Fargo and City, among others. In 2020, Rebecca founded RMK Group, a CEO advisory and strategic consulting firm. Rebecca is also the author of Fit CEO, a book that advises readers on how to be the leader of their life, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and mentally. The book provides a framework for staying healthy while leading a busy life at work, home, and play. Rebecca, welcome to the One Away Show. Thank you. Great to be here, Brian. Yeah, absolutely. Well, for those that have never heard of Rebecca or don't know her, I I saw a post pop up and her message strongly resonated with me, and we're going to get into it today, which I'm thrilled about. Um, But Rebecca, why don't you start us off and tell us about your One Away moment? I was thinking about that. I've had many One Away moments or seminal moments of change my life. Um, not related to the book, but just that changes your trajectory is, is having children. Wow. Okay. So first question is, did you always expect, you know, having kids? Is that something you had always wanted? Yeah, I think somehow families just always assumed in my mind that I would always have family. So, uh, just like I always knew I'd go into business. I always knew I'd have a family. So yeah, always something. I thought I would do someday. God. Okay. And what, how old are your kids? My kids are 22 and 24. All right. That, that, that age. And what about having kids was uh, such a seminal moment for you? A life is no longer about you. Mm. Now you're responsible for others. And I think at work, I was always responsible for others, but at a very different level than when you're a parent. Okay, so maybe describe that level of difference of responsibility or emotional work that's required in, in that well, role. I think anyone who's a parent, which is you know over half the world, I'm sure, um, you're taking care of someone's physical needs when they're young, and then you're taking care of mental, spiritual needs as they age, education. I mean, it's a full-time, 360, 24-7 job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And were, and were you, I mean, you said you'd always wanted, right, to have a family. Did it catch you by surprise, like the level of effort and the kind of full-time job nature of maybe what it took to 
how they develop uh, two humans in the world? Yes and no. You know, I think everyone who had kids would say things to me like, oh, you haven't lived until you've had children, which means nothing to you when you don't have children because you know you're living. And then when you have children, you understand what they're trying to say, which is it's a whole other kind of life. So, Mm -hmm. so yes and no, I think you can get ready and you can read and you can talk, but you can never really know the personal connection to another human being. Yeah. And for you, you know, and uh, what has been the greatest joy it sounds like, you know, kids came into your life. You could have only prepared so much, but, you know, here they are, you know, two beings that you birthed into the world. Uh, as a mother, you know, what is your greatest joy in, in raising kids? Well, the greatest joy now that they're adults is it's so much fun. They're my friends. They're not just my kids, but they're mm-hmm. cool human beings who I love, but I really like them. So that's really fun. Again, all... When you say seminal moments, there are just so many, and you can go down a path of any one, but that one is one that's with you the rest of your life. You know, that's not one you change. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, Rebecca, you, you know, just from what I know about you, you've been very like career driven and done some, you know, really incredible work. I mean, how was balancing uh, raising a family with, you know, a career, which it seems like you've put a lot of time into throughout your whole life. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the fun part is, uh, I used to answer that question of how do you balance? And my first answer was always, there is no balance in a day. And the reason why I say that, and I still say that there, there is no perfect balance, but there is what I call a whole life. So depending on the age of my kids and what my job was doing at the time, um, you know, when they're little, I would try to get home so I could put them to bed or have dinner with them or read them bedtime stories and do some really key things at night. And then I might go back to work, you know, remotely, if you will, on do emails and catch up later. So I would leave the office early enough to be able to make sure I was having dinner and read stories and do that. Whereas I don't think I felt balanced as much as just really scheduled on the Mm -hmm. weekend. It was more about, um, probably more just family time. And then during the week, it was much more about work. I was getting all the work done work, work. You're at work more hours really awake than you are at home. And so I think that's why I, the idea of balance is somehow harm harmony. And I, I think more of complete, I always had a complete life. I did all the elements I wanted family work, but definitely my weekends were more family and my weeks were more work, even though of course it was integrated every day. Yeah, no, it seems like you, uh, had a nice way of going about it and, you know, just making sure it sounds like when you were at home on the weekends, you know, very present and very there for your kids and yeah, found, found what would work for you. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, along the journey of, let's just say, raising kids and being full-time at a job and demanding uh, jobs, you know, sometimes your health and your things that th- those come those come second or third um, on the priority ladder, which long-term is comes out of detriment uh, to you. Um, I'd love for you to share, giving your, what you've recently published, what was your health routine then? What, what were your health practices and disciplines, you know, at the heat of your career with new sure. Go ahead. Sure. So health practices, you know, one of the things that's so interesting about the book is 
there's a section of the book that we call self-care and there's another section called boundaries and they have very interesting um interrelationships so if you think about i was talking about i left work to make sure i could have dinner with my kids and read them a bedtime story and put them to bed during the week and then sort of my boundary on the weekend about making it much more about home those setting boundaries allowed me to do a lot more self-care and it's true of um health as well and so i had different goals at different times. You know, I think early on it was like, could I work out three times a week? That was always my goal. And how would I make time for that? So if I did two on the weekend, I had to make one during the week and making time for that. So again, setting boundaries, committing to it. If you think about the book and all the sections of the book, talk about intention and commitment and boundary setting, that then enables the self-care. And I, I, I really tried to make self-care um, or my health as important as my work and my family. And the reason is, is I can't show up for my team. And I had often thousands of employees. I can't show up for my team if I'm exhausted and drained and not don't have the stamina or high energy, just like I can't show up for my family if I don't have the energy to lift a child and play. I mean, children like to play, which is often rolling on the floor. You know, you got to have energy. So, so I think, and you have to have honestly arm energy to carry these babies they always want to be picked up so their arm strength so i i really did think about it uh intentionally about how am i going to make room for these things and you can't do everything at once but that's why i got back to it's not all in one day it's if you think about your life in weeks or months or years but so i tried to in a week get enough physical exercise to stay healthy right mm -hmm. and um as I grew in my career and as I, as the same thing as a family evolves, you know, they start having their own hobbies and their soccer games or their sports or running around chasing a ball. And then how much you do of that with them, or they're doing their hobbies. I could do my hobbies, right. And if oh. my hobby is dance. So finding a dance class that would work. Mm -hmm. I think you keep integrating it. You know, it never can stay constant. That's the other thing. It's like what their needs are, what my needs are, what my job's needs are often morph and change over time. And so I shifted. So I'd say if I move way forward in my career, you know, I was often traveling later in my career, um, sometimes two, three weeks a month, sometimes every week. And so then I would incorporate walking meetings with my team or you know, exercising before a business dinner in between the meetings and the dinner. So finding pockets in a day to take care of my health, but having it be a priority as much as work. Mm, yeah, no, it seems like from everything you're saying is, you know, you, you took a very conscious effort, you know, and I think at a, a time, right, right now, there's so much self-care and this and that. And what, what, you, what I'm hearing you say is, no, like this has been, intentional from from the beginning yeah and decades prior to all the media kind of hoopla around why you need to to do this and i love how you thought of it you're like i gotta carry these things and play i need to show up for my team i you know bringing that energy and your full self to different all aspects of your life in a, in a whole way is i mean a hard thing to do but you know it's you fun it's yeah. more fun i mean that's so, what, that's the great part yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, you said something that I just kind of want to continue to pry into is, is uh, you know, boundaries. You know, you you said the only way you, the, the relationship between boundaries and self-care and what were, if you can kind of 
think through even today versus then, you know, what, what, what were some of those boundaries that you've always held or follow that have been constants or things that have changed that have enabled you to fully show up for yourself first? Yeah. Oh, so many. I mean, early in my career, let's say there would be times that my kids were young that I would have be even like the year they were born. I remember my boss at the time wanted to do an offsite. And I was like, oh my goodness, it was my first week back at work. And I had a newborn baby and they wanted us to go to a hotel for a week. So my husband took the week off and stayed in the hotel with the baby because there was no way I could figure out how to go from not seeing the baby for a whole week. That would just be mm. crazy as a new mother. So we figured things out. I would say my boundaries are often sort of thinking about time. Mm. And so for instance, if I would be asked to, sp- I would speak a lot. And if I'd be asked to speak at a conference, let's say in Washington, D.C., one week and then New York the next week and then another week in L.A., that would have been three weeks in a row being away. And I tried not to do when my kids were young trips back to back like that. And so then I would offer to a colleague of mine, hey, can you take the trip to New York or can you take the trip to D.C. or can you speak at this So I would look at it and say, look, I can say yes to one or two of them, but not all three. How can I share the wealth? So often I could delegate or partner with a colleague um, and they could take the talk. It depended what the the audience or the group inviting me wanted. So I'd say I I thought of things in sort of, um, I guess, a balance. Again, you know, how do I want, how many things can I do away from home? that's fair to my job and my team and what my company needed and fair to my family. Other things I'll do is um, as my career progressed, I was often working in many, many time zones from, you know, Latin America to Singapore to Europe. And so it would be very easy to be on calls 24 seven. And I would try to have really good boundaries about not doing 5am calls and 10pm calls. Right. Mm -hmm. So I would find a time zone that would work that wouldn't interfere with a family dinner or, you know, let's say my dance class, if I needed to do a dance class. So it's a balancing act. You can't always do it, but you try. And so as I I had the, the intention to to make it work. And so therefore I was the only one that could break those boundaries. Yeah. Well, I mean, what a way to take ownership, uh, from a leadership perspective of your own life, which I know is also big to you, won't get there for sure. You know, something I want to just um, ask you even deeper on that is there's there's a way to have the boundaries and, and kind of functionally schedule from these times, from these times. And then there's also from, maybe speaking from personal experience or other conversations with people um, in an intentional way, there's like a way your body can kind of feel into kind of what you think or know you can do just based on past experience and data. So how much for you and in, in, in those listening who are CEOs or you know leaders at their businesses, um, how much of it was you just saying, I, these are my boundaries versus, hey, I know internally what I'm capable of. And then therefore it has enabled you to maybe set stronger boundaries. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think... I think the question is around, do I set my boundaries intentionally or is my body setting them? And I think both is going on. I think more so that I could be, I mean, I know it about myself. I could be a workaholic. I mean, I just know that I'm so driven and I can just get in my zone and go. So for me, I schedule things. So I used to schedule dance class, pre having kids. 
so that I did leave work because it would be very easy to just stay in a project and keep working. And then all of a sudden I'd be late and then I'd get exhausted. So then I'd hit the physical boundary, yeah. but I tried not to hit the physical boundary. I wanted to make sure I was doing those good things for me. Like a dance class is my example. Um, so I'd say pre having kids that have another boundary, which is dinner time, when I could be really flexible and I was single, I would schedule myself things with myself. So right. I had to leave work because otherwise it'd be so easy to just say, oh, yeah, I'll work another hour and get it done before tomorrow. But that's infinite, right? There's always more work the next day. And then you could always work an extra hour that night, right? But you don't get that hour back to have gone for a walk while the light is still out or to have gone to a dance class or to have just taken a break from work. So I think I, I think I built them in by scheduling time with myself. Mm. And these are all the tips I put in the book with totally. my co-author, right? We put that in there, like schedule it is the only way to make it happen. Yeah. Well, no, it's uh, in a time as well, you know, where everyone's talking about valuing yourself and putting, you know, loving who you are. It's like you were saying early on, I was thinking about my own needs first so I could show up and it's been so consistent throughout the conversation. Um, I want to kind of give you an open floor as well um, from, from the book and, and what you wrote about with your co-author, you know, when you look back on the author journey and obviously the author journey never ends, but maybe the writing part of the marathon, where did you find the most reward in the writing or parts sections that just really stimulated you that you were just so excited to share the whole book so let's see i had this idea i want to say at least 10 years ago to write this book fit ceo and i was ceo of a subsidiary company at the time um, and it was a cross-border bank and i was traveling three to four weeks a month literally every week commuting and I met Lillian, my co-author, at the club I was at because I wanted a personal trainer. I was I was afraid I would just not have a way to work out. And so I wanted someone that would work with me twice a month for half an hour, which is kind of unheard of. And she was willing to do it. And then I worked with her for, let's say, about a year. And I just felt we had mind melded and had such similar uh, philosophies about life and fitness and health that I told her about this book. And I said, hey, would you want to write it with me? And she said, yes. And I showed her my outline and she liked it. And so then I said, look, I'm going to do it whenever I leave corporate America, I'll give you a call. And I did not leave corporate America until about nine years later. And I gave her a call. And I said, okay, I'm going to write the book now. Are you still in? She said, yes. And we realized we lived a few blocks from each other. So what was really fun about writing the book was that we got together every Monday and every Friday and just designed the structure of the book into those five sections around commitment boundaries, intention, self-care and heart, and then took all the outline of the chapters I had already done. And um, I had already submitted it to a publisher who accepted it. And so we sat down, they liked it. They agreed to the name. That was my big thing. I did not want to change the name. I wanted it to be called Fit CEO, Be the Leader of Your Life. Well, Be the Leader of Your Life came later, but Fit CEO was a title I always wanted. And then it was great because we agreed in my garden because it was COVID and we'd sit there and we were like, what are our goals writing this together? And we wanted to have it be really simple, really fun and easy. And so we had this dream of almost a reference book that you could read through one time, which you can, you can read the book through in like less than three hours. 
but it's in 30 chapters. So you could read it one chapter a day. You could read it with a buddy. You could do the exercises together. The idea being, or you could just open it up to any chapter, almost as a reference book and say, hey, I need to, I'm totally stressed out. I want to go read self-care. I want to go read about getting enough sleep. So go to that chapter. So we, the idea that this is something that would live with you, like um, not a book that you read once and sort of put on your bookshelf and never look at again, but that sits either in your your travel bag, your briefcase, or your bedside table or your desk and is um, something that you reference a lot. And so what was so fun was kind of the brainstorming together about how to make this happen and then making it happen. It was fun and easy to write. And we did live our book. We scheduled it. We met every week. We wrote it. We uh, enjoyed the process. You know, sometimes I, I would say like through these few little things, like the publisher said, we really because when they interviewed us, our idea was for a much broader audience and CEOs. They kept asking me like, Rebecca, is this really only for CEOs? I said, no, it's for everybody. Then they said, okay, we got to work on another subtitle that gives that message, which is how we came up with be the leader of your life because everyone's a CEO of their own life. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I love the, the the message, right? And But I do believe maybe it seems like your intention, right? When you're, when you're in a positional leadership and the, being a parent is a positional leadership, but you, you mix that with maybe business and you have, you're overseeing a lot. The, the, the responsibility to take that much more personal ownership over your life and the key decisions around it, uh, it I think becomes of even greater importance. So, and I also think you got to kind of start out with a niche and that niche can carry it into different, um, sub niches. So, uh, I, I love the, you know, it seems extremely intentional and just with like the way you designed it. And I, you know, I'm just curious, cause I decent idea of how publishing works when you, when you went to the publisher and you said, Hey, this is the structure we want to do. Was there much pushback or were they, were they pretty okay with kind of how you had thought through the whole process? They really added value. So for instance, uh, my original idea, which they got me off of is that it would be one page kind of leadership lesson from me as the former CEO, and then kind of one page subject matter expert, fitness professional, life coach, Lillian ideas. Sort of like this visual I had of kind of page, 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 two voices. And they loved the idea of the two voices. They said, but what a nightmare for layout if you have to do that. Because in your page, Rebecca, your story has to fit to a certain word count. And Lillian's stuff would have to fit to a certain word count. And that's a nightmare to manage. And so thank gosh, because I have no publishing experience. They told us that because then it completely freed us up because then the chapters became natural. They were a leadership story that could be three pages from me or could be two or could be one. I mean, it was, it was never long, right? I didn't want a long thing. And then Lillian's if you will, riff off of that leadership story into getting into your body and immediate and imperfect action and mantras and other ways to practice it could be one page or half a page or two page. So neither of us were constrained in our sharing our ideas, life hacks, you know, and that was a really helpful. And so I wouldn't say they you know, they just, they came back with strong, like we strongly advise against doing anything that requires precise word count. You'll hate it. And so once they told us that we were like, okay, we, we just pivoted, you know, that sounds awful. Let's not do that. You know? So I think 
I had some fixed ideas that they were very helpful with their experience to say, undo that. And then their treatment, their ideas were really helpful. They put our voices in different font. Mm, wow. And they sometimes would like put gray behind Lillian's voice screen. At back. So you could hear two voices, which is yeah, so nice, right? Right. Which is always hard to do a co-authored books, but it seems like they were really able to expound upon your initial kind of framework and idea set and say, how is this going to be the most impactful for the reader, the audience at hand, which is awesome. Um, now you mentioned how the book's broken out into the five sections. You know, I really want to uh, talk to you, like, how did you come up with those five sections, right? What, what did you say, you know, these need to be the five sections to think about full, you know, full care for your own life. Right. So we had, like in 2013, 14, when I first talked to Lillian about it, had outlined all the chapters. So we already, and over the years, I had written a lot of the chapter parts, my my lessons from it. Um, so when we, when we came together, I probably had half of the stuff I wrote already written and the 30 chapter titles. So we sat down and Lillian's like, there's no way people can just read 30 chapters. We need sections. I agree. So then we just brainstormed, but the sections because the chapters were already titled you could get a grouping you know it's like there is definitely intentionality commitment self-care heart and boundaries but what what was interesting is like where were we going to put energy management or where were we going to put our chapter on sleep and you know where were we going to what was interesting was our dialogue with each other about what category does it fit in but we felt that these five pillars were the core of what we were trying to get across, which is commit to it, have intentionality. I always describe my life as being very intentionally orchestrated. That's why I have a whole life. I don't, I don't roll out of bed and just my life unfolds. I mean, of course life unfolds, but I have a lot of intentionality to my day. And I think if you or to my week or to my year or to my life. And so I think with that things come my way because I'm messaging that I'm open to that, right? Absolutely. And I think intentionality is key here. And I, yeah. I will say that um, as someone, maybe a fellow uh, intentional uh, person from my own life, that it, it seems quite rare to apply a level of rigor um, to what you want and then go making a plan to make it happen. And then do that, not just in maybe in your health, but then all areas of your life. You mentioned that, um, maybe 10 minutes ago, you said you, you've always been extremely driven. And so where, you know, where does that maybe drive come from? And I'm sure that, you know, if you pinpointed the root or maybe you're just born that way or a mix of childhood experiences, but I, that drive has probably enabled some of that tensionality to come to life. But I'm just curious, like when you look at the root of that or certain experiences from your own life, can you apply any relationship between what's made you intentional or giving you such a sense of deep drive? I think I'm born that way. My mother would say she put me to sleep and she could never stay up as late as I was. So she just put me in my crib and I just stayed up to the wee hours of the morning. Like I said, I can just go. I have a lot of drive and energy. So um, I think I'm born that way, but I think I also had parents that cultivated self-confidence, right? The sense of I, they didn't say you can't do stuff. They're always like, you can do it. You know, I didn't get a lot of, no, you're not this, you're not that. Right. I got a lot of, yes, you could do a lot of things. So I think you have a family that can support you in it. Right. 
you know, you can choose who you call for advice, right? I call the people that support me in my thinking, not the people that are going to say no. And when I meet the no or naysayers, I usually don't hang with them. I like to be with the yay sayers, right? So you, you start to filter out in your life. I think people that support, at least for me, I, I think I do it. I consciously find people who will support me. I'll give you an example. I'm super happy if I make it to a class, any amount of a class. If the teacher, when I walk in late, is like, you're late and tries to shame me, I won't go to that class again because I have no interest. If the teacher's attitude is like, yay, you're here, another student, fantastic, Mm. and I get 40 minutes in out of an hour, I'm going to keep going to that class. I do not go back to the classes where there's a shaming if you're five minutes late Mm. and they start lecturing you on being on time because, you know, I'm just so happy I showed up. Right. If they're not, then I'm not going to go to their class and get shamed. Right. Yeah. It's, right. it's like surrounding yourself with people of optimism and, and not inducing that negativity into. Or half like, full, right? Right. Half full. I mean, yeah. I mean, I and remember it, I had a piano teacher who constantly hacked on how I never practiced enough. And I remember talking to my parents, like, I want a different piano teacher. And then we got this really wonderful person that was just so happy that I was an interested student who asked for piano lessons instead of a parent forcing someone to take piano lessons. And so she never harped on me on how much I practiced. And guess what? I practiced a lot more for her than I did the person that constantly harped on it. So, you know, I think it's choosing um, supportive of my interests versus not. So I think that helps the drive continue. Sure. Absolutely. And and I took an improv class a couple of years ago and it was, I always found it interesting, the yes and, you know, I always wanted to be in the yes and camp versus the yes, but camp. And I think similar to what you're saying is put yourself with the people who acknowledge and validate you and maybe add and evolve you in a way that, you know, evolves your spirit and, and your, your sense of being. And it seems like that, you know, growing up in a nurturing environment enabled um, maybe you see that earlier than most. And um, now, you, now you can help other people do the same. Uh, yeah. So I know when I had kids, I wrote my mother a thank you note, like, wow, thank you for being, you know, you only really understand it all once you, or at least I did once I had kids, like, mm-hmm. wow, that's hard to be. Yes. And all the time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, totally. What, what a neat thing you did. I mean, to write your mom a thank you and, and say that, I'm just curious, you know, I know we're a little off topic. How, how was that received when you, when you sent her a note? I, I think she loved it. You know, how nice. For sure. Um, you know, you mentioned, you know, part of this book is, is not just about health um, and maybe the five pillars, but I think taking that personal ownership and, and sense of leader and kind of leading your own life. If you were to define it um, on this show, what do you, how would you define being the leader of your own life? You're the boss of you. How do you, as that leader of your life or the boss of your own life, create the opportunity to set the intentions the right way, to create the right plan, to live a life on your terms? What does that take beyond just creating a health plan you know like what what are the components of that it starts with giving yourself permission to be the leader of your own life so i think a lot of people are still somehow seeking permission from someone else either they're still seeking it from a parent or a teacher or a boss but guess what it's your life it's not theirs, so you really don't want them being the one that decides 
So giving yourself permission, be deciding that you're the boss of you. So it doesn't matter if you're uh, any role you're in, you're your own boss in that role. Of course, we all have bosses, right? We all have people we have to inside companies, you know, even if you're the CEO, you have a board of directors. And if you have a board of directors, you have shareholders or right. So everybody has somebody, you know, so you either are working for your clients or you're working for your shareholders or you're working for your employees. Like you, you have to report to people, but you're still in charge of your own, how you show up every day and what you do with your time. And that's what I mean by being the leader of your own life. Totally. You asked about the how, like to have a plan. I, I, I write a lot of things down. I find I these notes I write, I look at years later and it's like, I did it all. I don't think I ever looked at that note again, but I think writing down is a really great practice of, it could be in a journal. It could just be a notepad saying, these are my intentions. You know, I, my intention, you know, one of my dreams for 2022 is to get on a curriculum and like a leadership class in a business school. So I'm just telling the world that. So maybe one of your lead, one of the, one of your listeners, maybe a professor at a business school, um, teaching a class on leadership and may now put this book on their curriculum. Like if you don't tell the universe, it doesn't happen. Right. And those are the kinds of things I do. Well, I know a few of those professors at business schools. So I'll be sure to tell them about Great. you. They need the uh, book. They need to get the book on the curriculum they, or a graduation yeah. gift. <laughs> That's right. I'm, I'm more than happy to share. Uh, something I want to dive into, and, and this is a question that was rooted in personal experience, but you know, you say you need to own, you know, own your life. You, you know, you need to give yourself the permission to take take a role, or let's just say get in the driver's seat. And I'm going more subconscious or psychological here, because um, I think it's all interconnected. I'm going to follow up with a question. So just, just roll with me on this. I think a lot of people want to take ownership of their own life. They want to have like a, a really strong sense of independence um, and, and become a fit CEO in, your, in the way you've outlined in the book. At the same time, right, I think we grow up with a lot of blockers or, or baggage or certain things that we haven't let go of or we don't have context understanding of around the patterns of what allowed us to show up in the present moment the way we are. And sometimes in, until that work is done, we cannot maybe fully take ownership of our life, I think, in the way you're describing. And so my, my question to you is for maybe for those people out there who say, you know what, this book, this message really speaks to me. But for some reason, as hard as I try or as much as I want to, embody these five pillars there's something that's in the way what would you say to those people well first of all you can't be all these things all the time so be really patient and nice to yourself because i'm not no one's perfect i'm not i'm these are all my lessons do i live them all perfectly no there is no such thing i mean i need to remind myself oh yeah i gotta recharge my batteries i just i'm too tired you know like listening um is really important to but be kind to yourself so i'd say the first thing is small steps can lead to big leaps so i don't even when we talk about exercise we talk about start with 10 minutes walking if you've never exercised don't try to go to the gym buy a new outfit sign up for two months pay a huge amount of money and go go for a walk for 10 minutes and then extend it to 15, 20 and so on. Same thing at the gym. So if you are not sure how to start on owning your own actions and 
being responsible for yourself, then start small and say, I'm going to own the next hour, or I'm going to own this one decision. I'm going to work on living with it. Even if I have anxiety about it, I'm going to, I'm going to do the behavior because the behavior can then maybe lead to the feeling. And you know that from acting classes or improv classes that saying yes changes the way your brain works than saying no. So saying yes and forces a openness to see what comes then yes, but which closes it down. So changing slight things in language, changing, I'm going <clears> to <throat> take this step, small steps of changes in behavior will start the confidence building feeling of, hey, I made that decision and the world didn't end. And I'm going to make another one or whatever the baggages each individual has. We all have a ton of it. And there are t lots of great books on some of those, whatever the issue is, parent relationship or teacher or, you know. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I think we, I think you're absolutely right. You hit on anxiety. I think when we look at maybe the vision of where we want our life to be, but to build the wall, you have to lay a brick each day. And I think there's a lot of anxiety around like just laying the bricks. And it's like sometimes actually in those moments of doing where you're just putting a brick down or making small deposits and changes each day, it's like you do that long enough and the wall shows up. And I, I, I so understand though, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's, it is anxiety inducing, but you do it enough times over and over again in small areas of your life, you know, you, you can start to build that confidence and see that maybe morph um and so uh yeah beautiful answer and i think you you speak in a way where you you say just enough and give us give give me like all i need and like without saying more than like needed and i think that's a gift i just want to acknowledge that alive while we're here thank so. you i had a thought when you talked about the will smith wall images one of the other things that I, a lot of my team members would say to me is you know i'm hitting a wall i'm hitting a brick wall and I'd say, find a window or draw one on that brick wall or get a ladder and climb over it. Because sometimes we hit things head on and we're just so stuck. But if you step back and say, is there a door or a window or, um, you know, a step ladder that I can crawl over it? Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Well, no, I, that's a beautiful analogy. And we can often see so much more when we remove ourselves from the, uh, in all, all aspects, relationships fitness, all the pieces. So I, I want to dive deeper on that, actually. That's a great point. You were able to write this book from the lessons that you learned through your life. And to write these lessons, I'm sure you had to face some hardship to learn the hard way, and then you had to step back, and then you had to come into it to, to, to get the wisdom that you were able to use to write the book. Does anything call or speak to you in this moment of any of those stories or experiences where you maybe weren't getting it dialed in where you, where you said, I need to maybe rethink this and then come back to it in a different way to maybe create the result that the intentional result I'm looking for. <laughs> There's so many, I oh. think it's always iterating. Let me see which one. Well, I think I've hit walls where I, I think I know what I want, but I somehow it doesn't always match what I think the team is understanding. And I, I remember there was a time where I realized Oh, there's a big language difference. I had to shift to, to out of a mode of telling people to teaching people. So I think I really shifted my management style of getting up and telling people where we're going and telling people the vision versus 
almost thinking about as teaching, like mm-hmm. here's the data I have, here's the why, here's where I think the opportunity is. And so here's how I got to this conclusion that um, growing in this geography or growing in this product set is really the most successful way to go. In a way, I brought all the whole audience with me. So I, I think as a leader, I have always, I've learned when I hit a wall, maybe, you know, at a certain size team, when you're small enough, you can just sit around the table and tell people your thoughts, right? But when you get really big teams, you can't just tell them. That's great. They leave, they heard what you say, but it didn't resonate anywhere. So I had to learn to invest a lot more time in teaching, showing how I got to that idea of the direction we wanted to go. And that took, that didn't happen overnight, right? That took a lot of feedback, a lot of learning about Mm -hmm. how does information get through an organization? So I, I think that's one of the walls I hit of, you can't sit around and say, gee, I've told everybody where we need to go. Why aren't they going? It doesn't work that way, right? Right. I had to reflect on why is it, if I'm so clear, is it not clear when uh, you go three levels down in the organization? Uh, um, I think for, you know, to your point, when you're the leader of your own life or you have a leader of a vision that you need other people to come along for the ride for, you're, you're already so far out in front of them in your thinking. And versus just telling them, yeah, here's this. If they don't have that context or the building blocks, I think what you're saying is it's like, how do I not only show them the building blocks, but how do those building blocks maybe stack up to educate them so that they can see what you can see? And of course, that's the incredibly hard adjustment, but for you, um, it seems like some really painful and also necessary growth lessons that yeah. made you a better leader in all, all areas. And, and fun, because when it works, it's so much fun. Like, when it's successful, it's such a joy, right? Right. Yeah. No. Uh, well, thank you for sharing uh, the the wisdom. Um, I wanted to ask you, you know, since you launched the book and since you've had reader reviews and shared it with, I'm sure your closest friends, you know, what what has been the feedback that you've locked into where you have felt the most impact or you have seen the most difference? Wow. I have, I've had some people send me emails and they have said it has changed their life, which shocks me. You know, I mean, I've known the people who send me an email like that know me. Right. And so it's like, how can my, you've talked to me my whole life. How could my book change your life? So that was interesting. I mean, change that they felt much more in control of taking the small steps to build up the big steps. And um, one woman said, you've totally inspired me to do some of the dreams I've had that I think about, but I'm, I haven't started. So that was exciting. And I'd say I've had some young people. um, I got to speak in person about the book in San Francisco and some younger generation people in their 20s came up to me and said, this is so helpful for them, especially working on Zoom all day long, um, to think about their own boundaries and scheduling time with themselves and giving themselves permission to schedule time with themselves to get off Zoom and leave their house and go for a walk. And so I think this range of, reaction has been super exciting. Um, I love reading the reviews in Amazon or what people send me. They're, they're very inspirational. And I feel like I'm so grateful for it. Mm, you know, yeah, it's right. really a nice, nice feedback. Of course. And you, I mean, you poured your heart and soul into a body of work that's representative of your whole career. And so, you know, you realize that you can help people make small changes from taking 10 minute daily walks to 
taking on their most daring dreams, right? You right. know, impact right. is, has range and depth. And that's just so cool. Um, so let me ask you a question and maybe kind of vision with me 10 or 15 years out here. Uh, as you look at your own life, maybe in the next decade or two decades or four decades, where do you see it going? And what are some of the intentional components that, you know, you're going to really look at and um, take the framework and take the, all the learnings from the books and continue to apply that in these next chapters of your life? Sure. So I just started my own new journey uh, in 2020, midway through 2020. I started my own business, RMK Group LLC. And my prediction of the future is what I've just started, the journey I've just started. So I've started a journey of what I call a portfolio career around three areas. The first area, serving on some boards. I'm serving on startup boards, which I, I love, love working with that innovative cycle of CEO and, and company. And my second pillar is advising CEOs or leaders, which I really enjoy that one-on-one -on -one work. And then um, my third pillar, I'm going to call mentoring at scale. And it's much more about sharing some of my thoughts in the book, Fit CEO, in writings, in speaking. But this mentoring at scale has been really, um, it's inspirational. And I love the the cycle of work because I get to see more inside companies through my client work one-on-one -on -one with the CEOs I work with or through the boards or hear the issues facing the current workforce and um, then put it back through my thinking of leadership hmm. and management. So I'd say if I project that out 10, 15 years, I would be doing more of this. I, I like it, but in, in a equilibrium that's not traveling all the time. So I get to be home more and, um, but travel being more about the fun part of travel, the journey, the fun parts of the journey. And then I hope I'm not working all the time in 40 years. I hope I'm chilling. <laughs> well, Rebecca, this has been a joy. Uh, you've just been, it's been a treat to kind of hear about your journey, the book, the inspiration, the lessons, the impact you're having where can people uh, receive this gift of yours that you've put into the world? Where can they find you, reach out and uh, listen? Great. Yes. Um, so Fit CEO, Be the Leader of Your Life, there's a website, fitceobook.com. And then there you can see all the retailers, of course, Amazon and Porchlight and um, Booktopia. There's many, many retailers that sell it. Great. Awesome. Thank well, you. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thanks for the great interview. My pleasure. This was fun. I enjoyed it. Absolutely. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, I hope you leave a review on the platform of your choice and share it with a friend who you think would find it valuable. If you'd like to receive our written newsletter and thought leadership, head on over to bwmissions.com backslash newsletter and subscribe. See you on the next show.